0: Be careful what you like. Did you know that when you like, comment, or share a post from a company, they can then put you in a special pool and retarget to you? Creepy.
1: Welcome to Getting Granular, the podcast where digital marketing experts from the agency Granular talk about the latest trends, tried and true best practices, and share their unfiltered
0: thoughts about the industry. Whether you're here to learn how to grow your business, improve your digital
1: skills, or just want to hear some Midwest PPC experts rant about digital media, you've come to the right place.
0: All right, Steve, we're talking retargeting or remarketing today on the Granular Podcast. Why don't we jump
1: right in? Yeah, sounds good. This is something that, Gets talked about all the time. We utilize it, and uh, just realizing that it's good to just put a podcast out specifically on this topic because of how utilized of a tactic it is. So maybe do you want to start, Jordan? So we talk about remarketing, retargeting. You know, are they the same thing? Are they different?
0: Yeah, I think you'll get the consensus answer is they're the same thing. Um, I think realistically, the big difference is Google, I believe, invented the term remarketing um, while primarily every other company out there uses the phrase retargeting. They're the same thing. It's, you know, if you visit a website, if you get cookied by any method at all, you get an ad served to you. That's retargeting, remarketing. I think it's interchangeable hundred percent
1: okay cool and just to, to level set and maybe dive in more specifics when we talk about remarketing retargeting you know oftentimes this gets most people have know what it is without maybe knowing the phrase this is you add a pair of shoes to your shopping cart you're shopping online you go to checkout you don't finish you leave and then now when you're browsing the internet you're seeing those same shoes you add to those cart reminding you to to purchase so that's visually how it works but maybe can you talk through behind the scenes what actually is allowing that to happen?
0: Yeah you know the easiest way to explain it is um, you know using your example you're on this this website that's e-commerce you're you're shopping online um, when you're on that website your browser sets what's called a cookie that is just a little snippet of, of code a little marker a dot if you will you know, they put a dot on you as a user, and then they can follow you around the internet wherever ads are enabled, which is pretty much everywhere because the internet is run by ad revenue. Um, So if you visit a shoe website, if you visit a social website, if you visit granular, you know, we're setting a cookie automatically on every single user. And that essentially follows you around the internet, no matter, you know, what browser you're on, mobile device, desktop, tablet. Um, they've gotten really good at setting kind of persistent cookies um, at the user level based on login information and a bunch of other signals. So it's really just this piece of of technology that kind of uh, invisibly marks you as a user. And I guess the invisible part is important there too because um, for the most part, it is anonymous. So they don't necessarily know that know Jordan Meyer visited their site and now they can personally identify you know everywhere I go on the website or or online Um, they just know that I'm a user that fits in a certain bucket Um, they do know that you know I'm of a certain age of a certain gender of a certain income level um, in a certain city Um, they know a lot of that stuff but um, you are pretty well protected from being personally identified Um, which is cool. It's good for the user.
1: Okay. I think what would be helpful then building off that is to just talk through maybe some of the more technical components um, and just explain those. So first, just because I think it's important, you mentioned that uh, users are anonymized. And one of the ways that happens is you are put into, you know, uh, you're not targeting the individual, you're targeting that user. Maybe talk through what an audience list is, you know, when it comes to this
0: yeah so uh, Google we're primarily talking about Google, but there's there's a lot of other retargeting platforms out there that we'll we'll get into. Um, basically, what it does is put you, the individual into a list, but that list has to usually contain at least ninety nine other people and oftentimes nine hundred and ninety nine other people, um, so that it really does um, try to keep you anonymous based on numbers. Um, so it's a lot harder to pick, pick one person out of a group of a thousand, um, than it is if you were truly doing one-to-one retargeting. And that's a safety precaution that, that Google and a lot of other platforms put in, um, just to, to keep that anonymous, but that's done by what's called the audience list. So every visitor that goes to our website, every visitor that goes to our clients' websites or every visitor that goes to Google or Facebook or Instagram are put into what's called an audience list. And that's really just, uh, accumulation of cookies, you know, individual users. You, you basically, uh, it's like a guest list, right? You get, um, you, you sign in, uh, digitally, you know, when you visit the website. So you're added to that guest list. And then, um, there's, uh, the the persistence of that um, the the length of that guest list really um, is based on the advertiser and the the platform so there's a maximum time limit per se um, of, of that cookie and I'll just get into the the numbers there the maximum number of days on Google for example you can be on a list for 540 days which is pretty crazy. Um, but that really helps tracking that really helps, um, give advertisers really good data on, you know, maybe a longer sales process, or if you're a retailer, you can, you know, basically bid and show ads to the same user year after year, because you can show them an ad, a, you know, almost a year and a half later. Um, if it's, you know, seasonal or, um, if you have, have a a good use case
1: for that. Okay, cool, yeah, I was just gonna talk through that, and I guess the, the last technical term that uh, I'll bring up when it comes to retargeting is frequency capping and um, what that term means.
0: Yeah, so frequency capping is, is really just putting a limit on the number of times that you're showing an ad to the same user, and it's typically within 24 hours. Um, so we've all seen it as internet users, you get hit with the same ad over and over again, Um, And it just never goes away or it's just, you know, really ridiculous the first day after you, you know, add those shoes to your cart. Now you're seeing those shoes literally on every website you go to and it won't leave you alone. Um, What a, a smart advertiser can do is set a limit, a frequency cap. So we can say, look, don't show our users more than eight instances of this ad a day. Um, or five or 20. Um, And it's smart as an advertiser and it's smart as a brand to put limits on that most of the time um, because you will annoy the user. Um, If you don't annoy them, there's a good chance that you could just make them blind to your ad. It's called ad fatigue and ad blindness. After you see something so many times, you stop noticing it. Um, That's really up to the advertiser to set those limits to make sure that you're not just berating people with the ad over and over again. Um, Sometimes, you know, it's, it's more the exception than the rule. Sometimes um, it is appropriate to kind of leave that uncapped. If you really, you know, have to be aggressive against competitors or you really need that, that timely message out there in a short amount of time, you can leave it untapped or uncapped. Um, But, a best practice is to use frequency caps and uh, typically that's a, that's a setting um, ignored by, by a number of of kind of rookie advertisers out there.
1: Awesome. Yeah. I think that's helpful that you did dive into that and explain um, the, the benefit of implementing one or maybe in some cases why it makes sense not to, you did talk about best practices. So maybe just jump right in there as far as, you know, what granular does from a best practice standpoint, as far as setting up uh, retargeting.
0: Yeah. So we like to create audience lists from every platform that we think we can serve ads from for the client where it would make sense. So that's from Google, from Facebook, Instagram, um, you know, Bing, YouTube. Um, there's a number of other platforms that, that we use to to serve retargeting ads um, we like to get that pixel placed on on our clients' websites uh, as soon as possible, even if we're not going to run, let's say we're not going to run ads on Pinterest for our client right out of the gate. Maybe it's in our six-month plan or 12-month plan to eventually run ads there. Still, within the first month, we're going to set up that cookie so we can start to see the audience that is on Pinterest, the, um, the customers visitors that actually go to Pinterest and use it, we can then kind of track them and see the, the opportunity that is on the table if we actually ran ads on Pinterest. So, you know, I guess number one best practice for us is just tag, um, tag everything and make sure that we're placing the pixels for all these different ad platforms um, on our client's website. And the best way to do that is to use Google Tag Manager, uh, which is a free product from Google that is really a container that you put all of these pixels into and you don't have to edit the website. Um, You don't have to touch the code. You don't have to work with a developer granular. Um, does that for all of our clients. We set up Google tag manager expert level way where we can easily just go in and edit add um subtract uh pixels and tags as we please because uh it won't mess with the the website at all so that's uh that's a big part of it. um second part is just the audience creation so um within each of those platforms, you know once you're you're collecting cookies and that pixel is firing on on our client's website or on your website, um, the best thing to do is create an audience. So you're actually uh, putting users in a pool. So when I mentioned that the maximum number of days is 540 for the pixel length or the cookie length, um, the way that you actually utilize that is to create an audience. So you have to manually create an audience to refer to that length. So you can have an audience that looks back 540 days, you can have an audience that looks back 365 days. I'll reverse that statement and say, typically, best practice is to create a couple audience pools of of cookies that are in length of one to three days, and then the next audience would be um, four to seven days, And then 7 to 14 and then up to 30 days because all of those different audiences that you create you'll see once you start running ads they have different performance metrics so you might pay more for the shorter term cookie because uh, you know the audience is more valuable let's say they've been to your website in the past 24 to 48 hours they're more likely to convert so you should bid higher on them and when you go down the the scale to like a 30-day visitor, someone that visited your website 30 days ago, they might be less valuable so you can bid lower. Um, but because it's been 30 days, that cookie pool is much larger. So you're targeting more people. Um, so there's a lot of different strategy that is involved. Um, but the tactic to set this up is, is, you know, set the pixel and then set the audience um, and then, uh, you know, beyond that, there's there's a lot of strategy involved in actually setting up the campaigns and and budgeting and and messaging towards those users.
1: Okay, awesome. Yeah, I was I had a couple questions that I was going to ask, but you answered each of those, and I think it does make sense to move on to uh, retargeting. And what I actually want to do is start in the order of kind of what are the most common types of retargeting ads people see them maybe the ones that are they're less common so you know at least me personally you know when I've thought of retargeting historically you think of seeing banner ads that that follow you around so image ads obviously on, on Facebook so maybe can you talk about um, you know the fact that you've got you know image retargeting you've got video retargeting you've got um, retargeting that can happen on on all these other platforms as far as what Um, kind of your it can be a recommendation it can just be an overview but you know there's all these different ways that you can reach people once they've left your website whether it's through social whether it's through video and platforms like youtube programmatic reaching people uh, maybe just helpful to get your your input and take here because there are so many options
0: yeah yeah i mean you listed off a lot of them really um so retargeting is Primarily thought of as banner ads um, you know and and a lot of people have the same banner ads for a prospecting display buy as they do retargeting um, but you should really have separate messages there and think beyond the display banner um, display banners for retargeting are still very powerful, very successful um, but you can really you know, it's advanced over the years, you can really retarget on almost any ad unit these days. Um, so that it actually goes into, um, you know, video, um, social. So if somebody visits Granular, for example, uh, we'll just keep using ourselves as the example here. Um, we can then show them ads. We can show them our video on YouTube. If you're, you're you don't have to be looking for a search agency video on YouTube. You can be watching your favorite cat video, um, and we might show up uh, as a pre-roll ad before that video. And the reason you're seeing that is because you visited our website. The same thing goes for Instagram. You're scrolling through your feed. Now you're going to see a granular ad, be it uh, a static image, a video, a carousel ad. uh, You'll see one of those again because you visit our website. Um, and if you go to that, you know, shoe company, let's go, you know, go to Zappos and look at a couple pairs of shoes. Uh, another type of ad is called a dynamic retargeting ad. So now, um, rather than Zappos showing you a static ad of their logo or a random pair of shoes, they're actually going to show you exactly the the style and, and brand of shoe that you viewed. And that's called dynamic retargeting because um, you know someone at zappos on their paid search team actually set up uh, the appropriate tags and they set up the appropriate audience list and then they set up the ad unit where it actually pulls in products you looked at and we do that for clients all the time and um, dynamic retargeting is is a beautiful thing and it works really well but yeah i mean high level basically any type of ad unit these days can be retargeted and that can be on any platform. So, um, including like Reddit and LinkedIn and, um, and, and just any, any, almost any platform you can think of, you can now see a retargeting ad and that can be in, uh, formats like native as well. So you can, you know, be reading through an article and a granular ad, might appear in between paragraphs. Um, it's not necessarily a, a traditional banner ad. It's not a text ad. It just kind of fits in the content. That's a native ad. So um, it's really cool to see, uh, you know, the platforms evolve and the ad units evolve into really being fluid and dynamic and, and beyond just a static banner. Um, yeah, so that's just a little bit more info there.
1: Yeah, it's awesome. I love it. And, um, you know, you talked about this a bit as far as how retargeting works and best practices. You know, to that point, we were talking through just some of the different platforms we can set up retargeting through. You talked about getting the the pixel placed for each of the platforms. Now, there are other platforms that are, you know, all in one. You place their pixel and they take care of retargeting across the internet. And it's, you know, more of a black box. The benefit being that it's, Can you set it and forget it? Can you maybe compare and contrast some of these third party platforms that you can run retargeting through versus doing it natively, setting up natively in each of the uh, ad channels?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, people just love the ease of things, right? Um, Personally, we order groceries through Amazon Fresh. Um, We don't know exactly where they come from, they might come from, uh, whole foods, it might come from, uh, it most likely comes from a Amazon warehouse, cold storage warehouse nearby. Um, and we order everything and we get it. And it's super easy. But we know when we're unpacking and eating that food, that we could probably get some tastier fruit at a fruit stand, and some tastier bakery items uh, at our you know, local farmer's market and, and better vegetables at our local farmer's market. And it's a little bit better if you kind of shop individual for for individual specialty items like that. Um, so I would say these kind of all-in-one platforms kind of fit into that scenario. So you're talking about an ad roll or critio or Steelhouse or something like that. Uh, perfect audience. Um, these are like the, the you don't see it, you don't think too much about it, the one-stop shop. Um, they can place banner ads, they can place f- uh, retargeting ads on Facebook and Instagram. They can do all that stuff, but you don't see the back end and you pay a little bit more for it and some of the costs are hidden and some of the optimization isn't there, right? You can't handle handle the apples. You can't look for a bruise on the apple before you pick it. You just kind of get a bag delivered to you. Um, so we're not huge fans of these, these other platforms. Um, the reason we see people use them is because it's easy. Um, it's a one-stop shop, but you don't get the, the granular details and the level of sophisticated bidding and, and audience pooling that you would if you had uh, an expert agency or an expert tra- practitioner um, setting up these, these things on their own. So everything that you, know, you can do through Critio, that's a, it's a really popular retargeting platform, you can actually do manually. It just takes a little more work and a little more you know, love and care.
1: Yeah, and I, I think that's a perfect compare and contrast. The only thing I would add is the way that these platforms make make money is they are placing the retargeting on your behalf. And let's say if you were to set up your own retargeting campaigns in Google and Facebook, and maybe on average you're paying you know, $3 CPM, where if you go with these other platforms, maybe you're paying a blended average of a $7 CPM, and maybe these platforms aren't charging a fee per se, but they all the spend runs through them and they're just making the, the delta, the difference between what they actually have to pay versus what they're charging you. And some people, like you mentioned, they mm-hmm. like the ease of use. I would say part of why we aren't for at granular, uh, well, two reasons is one, we look to drive the best result for the least cost for our clients. And two, just transparency is super important. And it's really tough to be 100% transparent if you can't tell them exactly where the ads ran, exactly how much it cost. You know, we've seen some of the outputs of reports from these platforms, um, sometimes been like pulling teeth from the platforms to get this info. And it doesn't give a lot of transparency as far as, you know, beyond saying we should invest more, or invest less, there's less room for, for nuance or to drill down into it because these platforms just kind of refuse to give you that level of detail
0: yeah that's that's a big part that drives us nuts is first and foremost the efficiency and the cost difference we can almost always get better, cheaper results through using the the native platforms ourselves like Facebook and Google versus one of these um, I think the the third point I would just add there is ownership um, Retargeting is called a first first party data, and that first party is you that's your website. Those are your visitors. Those should be yours. And once you go with one of these, these kind of aggregated um, automated solutions, you're placing their pixel on your website and you're giving them your retargeting list. And to try to pull that back and leave that platform um, you're going to be basically thrown away your audience lists and think through if you have a, you know, 180 day list or a 365 day list or a 500 day list, it's going to take a lot of time to recoup that. And um, that's part of what, what makes them sticky and makes, makes you stay with them is uh, it's hard to
1: leave. Well, yeah, that's, that's a key point that I'm glad that you did add is the the ownership um let's get into some of the advanced tactics we've talked about how the difference between retargeting and marketing how it works some best practices and kind of the difference between retargeting on platforms directly versus other platforms let's dive into some of the more advanced things you do you talked about we get the pixel place you can create some you know seven day 14 day 30 day audience things like that but i've seen granular, we, we've gotten to do some really neat things with retargeting. The first is a lot of people don't even realize you can retarget people through search ads. Um, can you talk about that?
0: Yeah, that's one we definitely love um, at granular and, and we've been using it for a long time. Um, in Google, it's called RLSA, which stands for retargeting list in search ads, which also isn't a, uh, a very attractive name. Um, but essentially what it does is um, it's like just another another ad unit, um, except this time it's in Google Search. So um, this is a really cool way to um, target competitors or even treat your users and your customers differently, um, let's say, because you don't want them clicking on your ad when they search for your brand because they already know you or if they're searching for a really specific product, um, that, and you already know they're a customer, you can treat them a little differently than, um, if, a a stranger or a first time user would, would show up on, on Google looking for your product. Um, it's, you can also bid differently and just treat that audience differently. So, um, we all know, you know, the sales cycle isn't Instant in a lot of cases it takes a couple searches. It takes a couple visits. Um, so a cool thing we, we do at granular for our clients is you know we can bid more aggressively on um, somebody that's that's already been to your site or been you know familiar with your brand um, if they're looking for a product. So if they're searching for the third time for um, you know a product that, that you sell, we can really just bid very aggressively and get them back to your website. And we do that because we have data to prove that they convert at a higher rate, and it's a much um, it's a it's a much better value to bid on that user than um, potentially a brand new user. Um, I think the you know last thing about retargeting and search um, is that you can kind of expand the keywords that you bid on, so you can be a little looser. So instead of if let's use Zappos again, right? So You're searching for shoes, you're a customer of Zappos, um, and now you're, you know, instead of looking for a, you know, Nike basketball shoe, you're just typing in, you know, basketball sneaker. That's a pretty high funnel keyword. It's expensive. Um, You might get somebody that's just browsing and, you know, spends a few minutes on your site, doesn't buy. But if you know they're a return user, the propensity to buy is higher. So you could actually bid on and show an ad for that that quote unquote higher funnel keyword, but because you're bidding on an audience that already knows your brand has already been to your website, um, it's a better it's a better bet you know the the chance of them buying is is higher. So that's a really cool one that we use quite a bit, um, and that's still something we see. you know we take over accounts that have been running for a while all the time. And uh, it's still something we see people not using, which is kind of crazy to us. Yeah,
1: you, you totally nailed it. I was gonna, I had a whole example queued up for um, being able to expand the, the type of keyword you're bidding on, you touched on that. I guess the only thing is, you know, the fact that you can change what your ad copy is, you know, based on um, their search behavior you know, the next time they go back to search, but that's just a little tactic. Um, we can move on to YouTube and some of the different things that we can do there specifically within that that Google platform, some advanced tactics. Uh, I know there's one yeah. particular one to highlight with uh, some sequencing. Right,
0: so, um, you know, I mentioned earlier, if you visit Granular and then you go to the, go to YouTube, um, you'll probably see our ad. That's kind of standard, Uh, YouTube retargeting, you know, that's something that's been around for years. Um, Still very powerful and cool, Um, but rather than show you the same video every time, uh, YouTube actually built in to the Google ad platform uh, a thing called sequencing. So if you have multiple video assets um, or if you want to slice your, you know, for example, two-minute commercial into, you know, four 30-second clips, you can now show the user, you know, clip number one. And then if they go back to YouTube, which they will, <laughs> uh, you know, same day or next day or next week, you can show them video number two. And then if they, and then you can actually treat them differently based on their their uh, usage of that. So if you, if they click through the ad or if they complete the video, then you can show them version number three A and then if they choose to skip the second video, you can show them three B. It's really cool um, user, it's a, it's a cool user experience because you're showing them new fresh ads, you're not beating them over the head with the same ad over and over again. And you can actually move them down the funnel or educate them on a product or a service or a company in a different way where you know, now they have my number one and number two message now it's time to, to close them with this number three message. Um, it's it's a really powerful uh, system that, that Google and YouTube set up, and uh, it's still fairly new. I think it's still underutilized, even if it's been around for a while now. It's it's definitely underutilized. Um, a lot of that comes down to just having the creative assets available, but um, it also comes down to uh, the paid search manager. Just you know not not thinking that this is an option and just going with the basic retargeting. So that's a really cool feature is uh, YouTube sequencing.
1: Yeah, I love it. And it's really fun to see the clients who are able to, to implement that. And there's lots of great data around that ad recall. Uh, the clients choose to sequence versus using the same video. Um, just, I feel like we can keep going on and on here. I just want to through some of these different advanced tactics. So on social, on platforms like Facebook and LinkedIn and and Instagram, Pinterest, um, you wanted to talk about engagement retargeting?
0: Yeah, I mean, it goes back to the opening of the podcast, right? It's um, whatever you do online is tracked. We know that, but also however you engage online can then put you in a a bucket and put you in a pool of, of cookied users where you get treated differently. So if you like, share, or comment on a post on Facebook or Instagram, um, the the beauty behind their platform is they're not just uh, enabling you to give kudos to the user or the company, they're doing that so we can, as an advertiser, can then target you. Um, so if you, let's see, say you see a, a carousel ad on Facebook or Instagram, that's just an ad where you can swipe or click uh, to the right to see, you know, more products or more of a product. Once you do that, once you engage with that ad, uh, we can then, if we're running ads for that that advertiser, we can then put you in a, a bucket, uh, in an audience list that says, all right, this user was already in our audience, We we want to get an ad in front of this person. And now... We saw that they engaged, they liked our ad, they commented on our ad, or they swiped they they watched a certain amount of our ad. Now we put you down the funnel into an engaged user, and we can serve you different ad content, or we can serve you you know more frequent ad content. We can basically treat that user differently, so it's really cool. Um, it definitely gets people in kind of a a funnel that sometimes they can't escape from. Um, so I would just say, you know, warning to, as a user, just be careful what you like and share and comment on, on, on Facebook and Instagram and, and Pinterest and basically every social platform um, because that will give advertisers a signal that you're interested in getting more. Um, but as an advertiser, it's, it's a beautiful thing because we do see that um, engaged users are uh, more likely to buy or, or sign up for, for a product or service.
1: Yeah, no, that's awesome. And there's definitely a, a company that produced a video that was optimized. I've seen an advertiser's video that they've optimized for social very well where I found myself watching all the way through. I liked it, I commented and I kind of regret doing it just because I can't escape this ad now across platforms. They have it optimized for a story format as well. But honestly, of all the ads I see every day, the fact that I'm now, this one company is staying in front of me it's, it stands out um, mm-hmm. uh, and it makes sense. Right. And it wasn't because I clicked through to the website to do anything. It's just based on my engagement on that ad.
0: I've done that too. And I kick myself, you know, I'll like a post and it's like, Oh no, that's a company. Now I'm going to get ads for the next month.
1: You know, one other advanced tactic. And again, there's so many advanced tactics, which if you want to learn all the specifics, obviously the people who work with granular, they get the full, Exposure to what's in the toolbox, but um, one of the other tactics we didn't want to talk through is actually being able to change the paid search landing page landing pages based on their their behavior on the website the you know previous previous times. So talk through that. This is really interesting.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a number of ways to go about this. The easiest way is to you know, have a dedicated paid search landing page that is not indexed by by the search engines, and the only way to get there is through an ad. A lot of people do that for the first touch with, with paid um, ads, you know, going to a landing page. Um, but you can definitely keep building on that. So uh, just like ad content is so important to customize and evolve as you push a user down the funnel, um, or pull a user down the funnel, um, so is the ad, or so is the landing page. So. You can have more aggressive offers or more aggressive calls to action, or just know that, look, the user doesn't need to know who you are. Again, don't send them to the homepage, send them to the contact page, send them to the, the form that requests more info, send them to a a specific product page and not a product category page. That's the cool thing about retargeting is you know the user's already done something on your website. You know that they're more familiar with your brand than a regular user. You know that they're down a certain funnel. Um, now it's time to to match your landing page with with that of of their journey with your brand. Um, so it's it's as easy as picking a different landing page for them, and and that can be dynamically done, or you can. You know take an advanced approach too, to to um, you know customize to to the user's location or um to the the user's interest so if they're interested in a type of product, you can you know send them to uh, a page that's all about that and it doesn't kind of clutter um, you know clutter up the the landing page so again let's Let's just use the shoe example because it's easy and everybody uses some something like that if you're looking for basketball shoes and you haven't picked it yet and a retargeting ad brings you back to the website. Does it make more sense to send you to uh, a basketball category page where you see you know a bunch of different basketball shoes, does it make more sense to send you just to one you know Nike Air Jordan? Shoe that you happen to look at, or does it make sense to send them to the home page and hope that they go back to uh the shoe category and hope they find the the shoe that they were looking for there's those three kind of options, and we see the most basic being oh let 's just send them back to the home page um, but time and time again, we see data that just shows look you send them back to one of the product pages that they saw or a very specific category page you're going to have um, you're going to have more success and and that that ad click is going to result in more sales.
1: Awesome. Yeah, I mean there's there's so many different uh, and again what I would tell people listening is not to feel bad if you're not implementing all of the these ideas or these tactics cuz th- th- that is an advanced tactics but you know, these are the sorts of things that you can do to really squeeze more out of the orange and to, you know, iterate once you've had retargeting up and running. It is really exciting to know that you can take steps that go beyond, you know, just the audiences or go beyond the actual creative, that you're actually changing that destination based on behavior. Um, I do want to, Jordan, if you're cool with a jump into some of the the myths that have have to do with retargeting, because I we hear We hear this a lot of different things, Mm -hmm. um, some true, some not. Um, One I did want to touch on that I've been thinking about throughout this with some of the examples we've used is, you know, the first myth is that retargeting only works if you're selling to um, consumers. It doesn't work if you're a business selling to other businesses. That's a myth that we hear.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. And you know, I'm guilty of using these shoe examples for the past few minutes. Um, But you know, half of our, half of our clients are B2B um, and some, you know, B2B industrial stuff that's really boring and, and no one knows about unless you need it, you know, unless you need a, a rubber wheel roller that fits into your assembly line or uh, you know, a product that cleans the electricity before it comes into your building. You know, there's, there's so many, random products and services that we advertise for in the B2B space where retargeting is a beautiful thing for that because you're looking at longer sales cycles. You're looking at a more advanced user that's more knowledgeable about the product and um, maybe less familiar with an obscure kind of small B2B company um, and higher dollar amounts, which means more consideration. So We've seen B2B retargeting work just extremely well. And it's so important to put into the, the overall strategy because um, you are paying you know, quite a bit for clicks. You're paying, um, you know, if, if you're paying a lot for traffic, you need to make that work. And if it's a longer sales cycle, you can't just hope for somebody to click and sign up or submit a you know, request for quote or submit a form. You gotta stay in front of that person, and you know another asterisk there is that um, you know Facebook doesn't have uh, 150 or 200 you know billion users because uh, uh, only B two C people are on Facebook uh, and Instagram, and same goes for YouTube. There's so many B two B users on these these other platforms that um, you can really. Uh, uh, get some good return on ad spend and, and good good ROI if you think outside of the box and think think outside of, oh, my, my B2B user is only going to trade shows and they only use email and they only use Bing. That's not true. And we can prove it by having a retargeting pixel on all these platforms to show you, look, this person that was on your very specific, very industrial B2B website they're also spending a bunch of time on, on YouTube. They're spending a bunch of time on Facebook. Let's just put an ad in front of them to remind them to come back and fill out the form or take action. And it works wonderfully. And uh, yeah, that's a, it's a good myth to bust.
1: Yeah, uh, and I'll give a plug for another Getting Granular podcast episode that I recorded alongside our colleague, Mike, which we did a whole episode about B2B Paid social and why paid social is important in B2B. We do talk on about some retargeting tactics in that, and just being able to use that to promote white papers, client testimonials, webinars. There's all these different content pieces, and you touched on this because it takes some time to to build a case and really get to know a company, especially if it's a larger purchase if it's complex. So we see B2B clients who implement retargeting properly working with granular, it it's a really essential part of the overall digital media mix uh and as a tactic. So glad we talked about that. Uh the second and this one we probably hear this next myth is actually the one we hear all all the time is you know can I retarget people who visit my competitors website even if they haven't been to my website? Short
0: answer is no. Unless your competitor allowed you to put your tracking code on their website, (laughs) there's no way to exactly retarget them. Um, (laughs) Side side tangent, um, Perfect Audience did toy with the idea of making alliances with your competitors and sharing a pixel. I don't think that went through well, and uh, no one signed up for it. Um, But outside of that, no, you can't retarget. what people sell as that or what people think is, is happening is actually called a custom audience targeting or similar audience targeting. And we can definitely do that through Google and Facebook and other platforms. And what that is, is, um, you know, because these, these large networks like Google and Facebook have so much data, they can actually, because you're going around the web and, and you're, you're giving them a bunch of signals of who you are and what you're interested in. Um, so if you go to a similar company, if you go to a competitor, or if your users do, um, there's a way to actually buy and place ads in front of that audience. So um, it's very likely that it feels like a retargeting ad, but it's not actually a retargeting ad. It's uh, it's called a custom audience or a custom affinity audience or a lookalike audience. And those are just a couple of examples, but the the kind of top three examples of how to how to make it look like you're retargeting a competitor's website um but technically it's not it's not a retargeting ad
1: yeah and this is where it gets into the one area that's a little more um that's a little more black box with i'll just stick with with google and facebook too i guess is um you know they can say someone's in market for something because they know based on you know what what they're searching and what they're engaging with and so you know it it makes sense and we've seen this certainly right where if you know in my own personal life if i'm looking for um, a certain type of solution um, then all of a sudden i'll start to see solutions from other similar competitors even if i haven't been to their website that's not true retargeting and again they're not going to tell you exactly how it works we've got our whole we've got theories uh on some different things but that's definitely i'm glad you've kind of debunked that myth mm-hmm. um all right so uh then well how about how about this and uh, i'll just have to ask you this again this is what the sort of the sort of stuff we get get asked them can you retarget people who haven't even been to your website
0: uh No, unless, well, actually the answer is yes. I mean, if they've engaged with um, your other platforms, that's why it's important to have profiles out there on other websites like Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Um, Yeah, technically you can't. So um, some businesses don't need a, a, a great website or some people have a really big social presence you know, much, much more traffic on their social pages than they would on their website. Um, Yeah, you can, you can retarget these people um, if they watch your YouTube video or if they engage with your um, Facebook or Instagram posts. um, Yeah, you can put them in an audience and and target them um, and then either bring them back to your website or take them back to a, a social page wherever you want.
1: Yeah, no, I guess. The and think looking at that last myth we talked about, I think this almost should be rephrased as: can you know can you retarget people if they haven't been to your own to a channel that you don't own and control? Uh, because then the answer is is no. But you know if you own your own YouTube page, you know you you manage that mm-hmm. Facebook Instagram page, then then yes. Um, here's the last one again. This is kind of. Um, I'll, I'll just ask it. So, you know, can you retarget people based on what they say through their phone? I mean, I we hear this all the time. I was asked this when I was on um, the local news. They said that they swear that their, um, I think their Alexa device could hear them talking in their kitchen, and then they started seeing ads for things like, <laughs> um, "Can you retarget people based on what they say through their phone?"
0: Yeah, I mean, look, the official stance. On all these platforms let 's just pick out the big ones. Google and Amazon is no, but um, there 's certainly a business case for why they 're putting microphones in everyone 's house <laughs> um, and uh, even if the the data is anonymous um, and you 're in one of you know nine hundred and ninety nine other users um, we 're pretty sure that there 's active microphones uh, listening in and and there might be some uh, convenient targeting for users for advertisers that select uh, in market segments or lookalike audiences or you know some of the other targeting methods on on Facebook and Google um, that is potentially one of the signals that that these companies are collecting, but specifically can you retarget them based on what they say no you can't you can't do that um, you know. Platforms have not given uh, little advertisers the ability to uh, target your, your personal speech and uh, things like that. Um, I will say, though, that um, if you're doing a Google search uh, through voice, through, you know, saying OK Google, or um, if you're using an iPhone um, and using a search engine with your voice. Um, we do see those searches come through in our search query reports and it's not labeled per se, but, uh, typically, uh, people speak a little longer than they type and they use different, uh, phrases, um, like please, or, or sometimes we even see, okay, Google or, or Hey Google in a, in a search query report. Um, so there's some, some ways that you can, you can definitely have a really educated guess that this was a voice search. Um, and then you can, you know, obviously, if they, they visit your site, then you can treat them differently. But um, specifically, no, we can't, we can't retarget a, a voice user
1: per se. Yeah. And it's, um, <laughs> again, I was going to touch on it, but you covered it with, you know, when looking at in-market tar- targeting, custom audience targeting, and link look uh, lookalike targeting. Again, I haven't really peeled back all the layers of the onion to read the detail to say explicitly we do not incorporate data from smart home devices. Um, I haven't seen it. It just will explain how it works broadly, but I think there's enough air cover there. Um, it'll just say what they do utilize, all these different signals, um, you know, again, I think what's important to emphasize what you mentioned is granular as uh, an expert pay-per-click agency with our representation we have, we manage lots and lots of dollars. We work with some, some really big companies, big advertisers. We do not have access to a secret dashboard that gives us the ability to target individuals based on their speech syntax or based on the types of conversations happening in their home that isn't an audience that we can we can target Um, again you can imagine anything that can be requested as far as like the types of ways to target people we've been asked to do that's one that we actually haven't had someone ask us to but if they were we'd say we don't have the ability to go in and facebook or google and say well we want people who they're actively target you know talking about uh, they need new shoes. We want to mm-hmm. have that as a drop down, and let's go ahead and target. We don't have the ability to do that
0: right, exactly. And I'm glad we ended the conversation on a conspiracy theory. We should do that more often. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know it it's uh, it's could lead to um, a future conversation it would be interesting, like you know some of the most popular conspiracy theories. Um, Maybe something, you know, conspiracy theories and pay-per-click, something maybe for another time. But for now, I think we've covered everything when it comes to retargeting, at least everything we're going to cover in this conversation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And if you're, you know, listening to this on our website, uh, we're going to retarget you. So stay tuned for those ads. (laughs) All right, that's a good note
1: to end on. Thanks, Jordan. Thanks, Steve.
0: Thanks for listening to the Getting Granular podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss out on any PPC tips, tricks, or news in the digital marketing world. Be sure to visit our website for more content at granularmarketing.com. Thanks, Jordan and Steve, for this episode. See you next time.